0: going listeners welcome to across the bifrost my name is ryan Doze. i am your host today part two of our interview with mackenzie lee is here she tells more stories we talk about the book we go in depth on all the things that made this book come together and she tells a story about the time she interacted with one of the guardians of the galaxy I'm not going to lie. You do not want to miss that part of the interview. Later on, we're also going to talk about the finale of Loki. Episode six is here. All the insanity that came from it has just sunk in and we're going to talk and review, break that apart. It was phenomenal. I hope you saw it, man. I mean, the, the, the Marvel cinematic universe is never going to be the same. It's never going to be the same. And you don't want to miss our breakdown of that episode. Some ways that you can support the show to keep this great streak of shows coming is going to iTunes, subscribing, rating, reviewing us, telling us what you like about the show. We want to keep giving you shows that you enjoy. So tell us what you like there in the reviews on iTunes. And then you can go follow us at Across the Bifrost on Instagram. You can talk with us about Loki anytime you want. Our DMs are always open. We always want to talk about Thor, his world, and Loki. So be sure to go there. Give us a follow. We would love to chat with you on that platform. Here is one announcement you need to know going forward. We have a great, great, great show lined up next Monday. We are doing a panel discussion, breaking down the entire run of Loki on Disney+, Plus, all six episodes, with the reviewers that we've had come on the show every single week to break down individual episodes. We're coming back. We're all getting together, and we're going to talk all about Loki, no script, no plan. We're just gonna talk about Loki until we can't break it down anymore. And if you wanna be a part of that show, you can totally have your voice heard on that episode. Go to the link in the description for this episode Leave a voice message and you'll be a part of the show. That would be so cool if you got to be a part of the show with us. So go do that. Submit your opinion, your thought, your theories about what's going to happen next with Loki. What's going to happen with the Marvel Cinematic Universe? There's so many possibilities and we want to hear what you have to say for that episode next Monday. But today, today is big. Part two of our interview with Mackenzie Lee. I will not Waste any more time. I want to get to this interview, so enjoy this talk, and I will see you at the end of the episode. Well, and for for someone, someone like me who's like I'm, I'm always trying to learn more about you know Thor and his world. You know, it's it's he's my favorite character. Uh, I I felt really great when you included Carnilla the Norn Queen uh, <laughs> yeah. because here's the thing like Thor and Loki like they're always pitted up against these like these big monsters or like these conniving you know like dark versions of you know elves or, or something like that but like Carnilla and Amora are such great like and I wouldn't even like after reading your book I wouldn't even classify them as specifically villains they're just such great characters around kind of like rotating around you know main characters like you know Thor and Loki but I love that Carnilla just gets kind of tossed in there she's not like <laughs> she's not big you know at the at the front of, uh, of the whole story but she's just like yeah she's right there and I, I really enjoyed her inclusion it's
1: pivotal in a small way so for your for your listeners the the sort of uh, uh, the foil to Loki in the book is amora the enchantress who's a character that exists in a lot of the comics but hasn't shown up in any of the films or TV shows. There was some speculation pretty early on that Sylvie and the Loki TV show was actually Amora. Um, I was in that camp. <laughs> well, I immediately had like panic about that. I was like, oh no, did I like step on, did I did I run over somebody's plot line without realizing it? And um, cause again, Marvel is huge and writing for them is so cool, but nobody talks to each other. Like the comics people don't talk to the book people, the book people don't talk to the okay. So. I found out like half, I think it was like halfway through writing the book that they were doing the TV show. And I tried to get any details and they were like, we don't know. Like, we, it's, we, we would tell you if we knew, but we don't know. And so oh I was my like, God. Oh, let's just hope this all. And then at one point I saw something about it being like a, it was one of those things where I was trying to like keep an eye on it, but not too closely because I would psych myself out. And there's like yeah. something at one point that they were like, it's a time travel show. And I was like, oh God, no. Like,
0: that's
1: no. <laughs> I'm like, what? No, but it's not. We're fine. It's all
0: good. It's, not, it's not bad. It um, everything.
1: Yeah, we're fine. <laughs> um, I was like, don't tell my story. Don't do the same thing I did, but better. That was my great fear was I was going to watch the Oh my gosh. Here's a better version of what I did. And then, uh, anyways, but so Amora the Enchantress is sort of the main foil that, that he has in the book. Um, and she actually did kind of come from my editor and come from the people at Marvel um with every book I've done for them now there have been I say like they give me a lot of freedom which they do but they always bring sort of like here's a couple of things we would love if you would include and for this okay. one it was, here's something we would love if you would include we would love Amora to be whether a a antagonistic force or a force for good either way do whatever you want we just my editor's a big fan of her character and was like I'd love to get Amora in here
0: well, as as all, so me and your editor would get along just fine because Amora is one of my favorite Thor characters She's rad she go cuz again uh, just a little bit of a soapbox for me she does not approach she does not approach uh Thor the way any other villain does she is very like subversive and i loved how like you even brought that out with her in in this book and that's actually so this book i saw as it's unfolding in front of me i'm like okay in my interpretation of this i'm just like okay loki has relationships with so many people you know new relationships and old relationships i just kind of wanted to knock through a few of those and amora is like the first the first one that we get a lot of attention to you know with the the feast scenes and you know going going after the gods eye mirror and then breaking the gods eye mirror just that whole little first few chapters so when Amora's brought in you were like what was the approach to that character because she's very important to the story
1: yeah you said you, you mentioned the way she fights Thor is different than everyone else part of the appeal for me is that she fights like Loki um oh gosh, so yeah. the same way we're seeing in the tv show right now like part of the reason and I again we haven't seen the last episode I don't know where it goes I love Sylvie and I love Loki and Sylvie together and I love this like non-romantic chemistry and attachment they have to each other pretty much immediately because it's this feeling of like being not being lonely for the first time in your life and it's the first time you find someone who understands you in a world where you did not think anyone else was like you um and that's kind of the role Amora serves for loki in these early in the early days of of the book in his early days of life even though really? a real um but in the book, he's sort of he's a, he's a weird, awkward teenager. And he's like, I'm skinnier than everybody. I'm not a fighter. I don't, I get tired lifting broadswords, like Sif beats me up. I don't know. Like, how do I fit in this court of warriors, essentially? And then Amora comes along, and she's also kind of this like slippery magician who has the same sort of power as him, but has been taught to hone it more than he has. Whereas he's sort of been like encouraged by Odin, like, no, 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 like try the warrior thing, like try and be like Thor let's try and all be the same kind of person um, Amora comes in with the same power he has but she's been taught to use it and she knows she knows what the the potential it has too and and she kind of pushes pushes his buttons in the right way and tempts him into she she kind of she enables his his more chaotic trickster mischievous evil side um, and that's and then over the course of the book it's sort of like is that necessarily a Bad thing is that inevitably what he's going to so she becomes yet another force of like are you someone I kind of had to meet along the way to bring this side out in me um but but then also becomes kind of as as she is in the comics she's in, she's an antagonist to him and she's a foil against him as well so while Loki's still kind of he has a little bit more of a I think he has more alliances more allegiances more relationships he has as much as he doesn't want to, like he has a relationship with Thor and he, Thor's his brother and he has a family and he has a people in a community. Even if he feels like an outsider in that community, they're still his. Where Amora is, is an orphan. She's a sorceress. She doesn't, she doesn't have anybody. She answers pretty much only to herself. Uh, and that has brought out sort of a different, uh, it's, it's that same, they both have the quality of being outsiders, but it's brought out a different uh, personality trait in each of them
0: well yeah i was gonna say that thing about that that them being outcasts like especially in the court um Mm -hmm. at the beginning of the book and okay i get i get this friendship like she is like no one loki's ever seen before and and he he kind of you kind of give it like a juxtaposition of like well thor and sif have their thing and there's it's very you know that's you know that's who that kind of coupling you know, yeah, it's the, jock have, did,
1: it's the jock dating the head cheerleader.
0: Exactly, or, yeah, yeah, and, and like it's-
1: to meet in the manga section of the library. Like that's, it's if, if we're gonna do like a high school dynamic. And
0: I think- Exactly.
1: With, with Loki and Amora too, you have this, she's, I don't know if technically she's older than him, but she's farther along in her like magical education than he is. Yeah. And so it also looks up to her a little bit as like, it's like that cool, the, the cool senior when you're a sophomore. Um, that you want to be their friend but also you kind of want to be them and also you kind of want to make out with them and you're it's like all these things kind of overlap um but mostly i think it has a lot to do with with uh when you see someone take the things about you that you think are weird and unlovable and make you like too strange to exist and then makes them beautiful and powerful and makes them a source of strength that's for loki that's what he sees in amora and it's so it's a, it's a totally new world for him is these things that have made him so weird and such an outcast when she wears them are th- things that wears metaphorically, when she uses them are things that make her strong and brilliant and unique and, and a force and a warrior.
0: So, Speaking of wearing things, not just metaphorically, one of my favorite, favorite, favorite moments, like it's, it's a kind of like a little like joke that shows up throughout the book is that Loki wears Amora's boots. I like, I loved, I love that so much. And like, and Loki throughout the rest of the book, even when he's not with Amora, he's like... Man, I really do love those boots. <laughs> like, that was one of my favorite little jokes that showed up throughout.
1: One of, I did, did I mention one of my biggest influences for this book was Devil Wears Prada? Um,
0: I love Devil yeah. Wears Prada. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm gonna have to go watch Devil Wears Prada tonight. I,
1: I also just watched Cruella, which I adored. And fantastic. I feel like we can do a little Venn diagram with uh, Loki and Cruella with just like fantastic yes. goth fashion in the middle um yes he does he wears her boots he he kind of there's some illusion in the first little chapters that when she's living in the Asgardian court he kind of he kind of starts dressing like her and kind of adopts her style a little bit to the point that he's literally stealing clothes from her (laughs) wardrobe and this goes back to kind of what I was saying that he's like I don't know if I want to be you or if I want to make out with you or if I want to just like be in your gang or are we are we am I like your sidekick are we partners like it's the sort of nebulousness of the relationship
0: so going into the I want to talk the 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 layered love stories in like whether it's a deep friendship love or romantic love uh, I'm I would love to hear you expound a little bit on that but like there's two love stories in this book that you approach you know Theo and Amora and I just kind of wanted to hear maybe why? Why two? Why two different like uh, stories in, in the book, and you know, how how did that unfold for you as you're writing these two parallels? You know, kind of attractions.
1: Uh, so for your listeners who haven't read the book, uh, Theo is a member of this like of a Ghostbuster society, essentially down on down on Earth, loose, loosely inspired by that Harry Houdini team. Um, awesome. like a, like a small, uh, uh, what's the word startup, <laughs> I don't know. Like a, a ghost hunting startup. Of... They're an
0: interdimensional startup. <laughs> yeah.
1: They're kind of like, they're kind of, they're, they're kind of agents of Odin on Asgard, but also it, it's more like they found out about Odin accidentally and he's like, okay, so go stay busy, stay out of my way, don't bug me. Um, and so he's part of this little, this little squad down there. Um, that is working to keep supernatural forces out of out of Midgard um and yeah later in the book as we get into Victorian England uh Amora's there and then also I'm not sure how how spoilery can I should I be on this
0: you can be as spoilery as you want
1: okay um well we'll see how much of the book I remember that'll that'll really define (laughs) um
0: how many spoilers I remember I can help I just finished it for the second time. I was gonna
1: say you probably have a better memory than I do (laughs) um but so yeah, so so Theo is Theo is anti-Amora. He brings out the opposite things in Loki. He brings out humanity and uh, brings out sort of a, a larger Theo's also somebody he's he's a gay man in Victorian England, so he's had like incredibly bad things happen to him because of things he can't control and still come out of that situation. Soft and kind and loving and ready to like, which is which is something I think Loki is is struggling with too. Is like, how do I process? How do I process emotional abuse? How do I process yeah. a childhood that really roughed me up and feel and and so he sees in Theo much like Amora, another outsider, but somebody whose outsider status or outsiderness has made them into a totally different person than Amora. Amora has become. Kind of vengeful and bitter, and she she acts in her own self-interest, whereas Theo has somehow found a way to still keep his to still keep his vulnerability, I guess. Um, And so that was part of it was the juxtaposition of those two love interests for Loki represent. Oh, this feels very like literary literature class in college, and are like talked about my books is deep. Um, But for for me, they were they represent these two dueling forces within him, which is, am I a good guy or am I a bad guy? Um, and honestly, the answer is somewhere in between, but at the time he's, he's living in a world of heroes and villains and feels like he has to pick a side and maybe that side has already been picked for him and um, does he get a say in who he gets to be? And so you have, yeah, Theo and Amora who bring out two different sides of him, encourage two different things in him um, and who both I think also know something about his future because Amora was part of seeing this prophecy and Theo has all these stories from, from Norse mythology. And so they both see where he could end up and have a they almost know more about him than he does in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, so that's part of the answer. The other maybe uh, more on the nose part of why we had two love interests is because I wanted to write about Loki as a bisexual person, a bisexual gender fluid being. Um, and I really wanted to write a, a queer relationship in Marvel, which is not something we see super often. And
0: yeah.
1: Loki as a character has been gender fluid and, and bisexual or pansexual, they're both words I think that get associated with him a lot, has been that way since the, the poetic sagas from the Norse myths and just get left out. Um, and yeah. it, was, it was amazing how many people sent me homophobic messages when the book first got announced with like, the the headline, was, I mean, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised oh, at all. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, I've been writing queer fiction for long enough that I'm like, no, I get it. Like this, this <laughs> is kind of protected. Um, But it was it was interesting to me how many people are like, why are you bringing your gay agenda to Marvel? And I'm like, dude, first of all, it, I think Al Ewing did it along, or Jack Kirby, somebody. I was like, I'm not the first person to, to bring this in. Um, But second of all, like if you, if you're not talking about that with Loki you're not understanding that character and that fluidity and that um the sort of nebulous nature of his identity is so intrinsic to who he is um so that's part of that's the self-serving reason to love interest is I wanted to write a really explicitly bisexual book that that nobody I didn't want to do like a like a female like a really explicit female love interest and then like a relationship between two men that you could kind of like it's kind of queer coded like I wanted both of these to be explicitly romantic relationships
0: so I, I'm just gonna I'm not gonna spoil the ending of the book um because I, I just I really do want people to go read this book the the way how do I say this in a very uh non-spoilery way um the way that Loki and Theo end up at the end of the book gotcha was so emotional I remember done. that part yeah.
1: because of how many upset messages I get saying no how could you do this?
0: I was like so to me I was like I, I'm I'm getting towards the end and I'm like okay Loki makes the promise but Loki's a liar at heart. Like <laughs> so I was like oh no Mackenzie, you're gonna do it to us. <laughs>
1: <But> that's <laughs> why? why that's why I think anti-heroes are so fun to read or to write about is yeah. because like when you have someone like Thor you know he's always gonna do the right thing. It might be like a moment of turmoil where he has to decide between his own self-interest or between saving Jane and saving Asgard, but you know he's always gonna do the right thing. Someone like Loki, you don't know. Like these these choices become, I I think in fiction, lots of these like the big choices that these characters have to make, it's sort of like, okay, I know there's a right answer. You can struggle with it and that struggle will be interesting for the plot. But like in the end, we know what you're gonna do. Whereas with characters like Loki, you never know, like they they could legitimately go either way and that would be totally within the realm of their character. And that's part of why I think the series has been, for me, just the most fun thing to do is that I have these characters that make all the, they. I, the, the subtitle of the series could be no happy endings. Like everybody's making <laughs> all the wrong decisions.
0: Everybody ends up sad. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> like really, I'm working on the third one right now and it's like, well, this is not gonna be, this is not gonna be any happier than any of the other ones have been.
0: So, like, but if if anyone's listening and they think, like, oh, well, like, if it's a sad ending, like, why should I, why should I read the book? It is a, the books are, well, this book specifically is so satisfying, though. But it's satisfying in a way that I didn't expect. Um, Because, like, I was like, how is this going to wrap up? Follow me
1: around and pep talk me all the time? Goodness gracious. You, like, have said all the kindest things.
0: And and the thing is, the book. the thing is, I, like. I was telling my, I was telling my wife this the other day, I was like, I think you should read this. And she's like, well, you've been talking about it for the last week. So I almost don't think I have to read it. Um, but <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it, it, uh, there is this, um, conversation that Theo and talking about your, your plan, like, here's what I want to do when it comes to sexuality and relationships in this book. You include this conversation with Theo and Loki. And I don't remember what chapter it is off the top of my head, but where, Loki's like, oh yeah, what you guys think is super abnormal here, like we don't even really talk about on Asgard. And and I think it, you know, it, it I it projects this utopia for Theo where he just is like, oh, take me with you. Yeah. And like you, you hurt for you hurt for Theo so much. And uh like yeah, I, I thought that, that cool little conversation they have about norms and taboos was really, really important to to the to the characters well i think Um, that's
1: an ongoing that's an ongoing thing in marvel across the comics the books the movies everything is the need for more representation because whether it's whether it's of sexuality it's gender it's race like all of these different things because when we're telling people like here is the biggest fictional universe that maybe has ever existed with the most creators the most characters and there are aliens there are spaceships there are interdimensional travel but there's no gay people like what are we telling especially like young queer people like you are so you're telling them that they are so outlandish and strange that even in this world of like phantasmagorical magic stuff you cannot conceive of a world with gay people in it which is patently absurd Um, and the idea that there are all of these these many, many realms and worlds and, and dimensions, but all of them have the same ideas about gender and sexuality that Earth does. Like it's such a, I mean, we talk about like Western centric ideas of literature. It's such a Midgardian centric idea of, of, of all of these things. And yeah, that that conversation, that chapter in the book is, is one of my favorites for that exact reason, which I hope that it not only acknowledges it within the context of the story, but also like within the context of the larger Marvel universe, like, not every world is like this. And I, and I think too, as someone, I, I grew up in a very conservative religious community. I'm a, I'm a bisexual woman and came out as an adult. Um, for me for a long time though, as I existed within this religious community, i was sort of, that is not accepting of, of LGBTQ people. And it was sort of like, so how do I reconcile who I am with this this world that I'm living in? Like, I can't change my community. I can't change these people around me. And this is sort of what I ended up transposing onto Theo then is this feeling of like, my world is not going to change and I am not going to change. So what do I do? Um, And so, yeah, for Theo, that becomes sort of this like, it's a a wish fulfillment, it's a utopia. And for like 17 or 18 year old me, it would have been the same way. Like, can you just take me to another world where this isn't an issue? Like, I don't want to deal with it in this world. I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to deal with having to fall out with people with having to pick one thing over another to having to broadcast these things about myself like i just want to go somewhere where it doesn't matter um and that's not our reality still it's yeah it's it's unfortunate but it's it's not the world we live in and and, um i get i get that i get and i think a lot of queer people understand that wanting to go somewhere where it's just not a big deal
0: Um, you talked about you mentioned just briefly there like marvel being this expansive you know it's it's a fictional universe but That doesn't mean that it's not real, yeah. Because like we're we're about to, so you know, I I know this is a Thor-centric podcast, but you know, let's 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 go off the off the range a little bit. We're you know we we live in a world where like Black Panther was the biggest hit of the year when it came out. Shang Chi is about to come out and and shed light on a community that is underrepresented in Marvel across the board. So this idea that Marvel, Marvel can be for everybody. And when someone say, someone listens to this or sees your account on uh, online and says, oh, I wonder if I can, if I can see myself in Loki. Like that to me, like, you know, would be just kind of a cool thing. Like someone reaches out to you and they're like, thank you for this book. Cause I I got to see myself in this book.
1: I've I've gotten those emails and they remain like, the most incredible part of my career. And it's, it's the sort of thing where it's like, if I, if I don't do anything else with my life, like I'm, I'm glad that for these five or 10 or 20, I don't know how many people, but like the fact that I've been able to be part of a coming out journey, a self-acceptance journey, or even just like seeing yourself represented is, I, I, it sounds so cheesy, but it's such a privilege. And it, it is the best part of my, my job and my career. I just had um, a, a letter from a, a trans kid who has just chosen their new name, and they they chose a name from my Gentleman's Guide series because those awesome. those books they said were like the first time that they saw any kind of queer rep and saw things about things like PTSD represented, and um, they just they really like connected with these books, and they've been sort of a bright spot through through this really tough transition and through tough stuff with their family, and that like I. Get, get choked up thinking about it. Like that is the most incredible honor, um, and I'm just I'm so I'm so lucky to get to be that for so many. Not for so many. what I say it. I'm so lucky to get to be that for for people who who see themselves in this book. And I hope that it's starting a bigger conversation, a bigger movement within Marvel. I know that like I I won't sugarcoat it. Um, it took some it took some some fighting. Uh, with the the Marvel people who have to like approve everything that, that goes, that goes out with the Marvel stamp on it. And it was not an easy, I kind of used up all my, all my, my, my aces on that fight it was, I was like, we got to have this in here. We got to have this conversation. We got to have this kiss. I want to make this, like this stuff needs to be in the book. Um, and I, I had, I was lucky I had some backup um, and, and we made it happen, but now we just saw it on the TV show. And like, it was, it was a five second moment but man like like the fact that it ended up in the tv show I actually I was dming with the the showrunner uh, Kate Heron and I just said something to her like thank you for putting that in there because of that that probably wasn't easy based on my experiences I hope I made it a little bit easier for her I hope she made it a little bit easier for whoever comes next but also like it's it's still a fight I wish it wasn't
0: <laughs> that, that, by the way that is a great little like so i was messaging with the person that runs loki i thought you were gonna be like so me and tom hiddleston were talking
1: (laughs) so my favorite my well first of all i have two stories on this sorry we're going way off track no
0: no no, that's fine this is
1: is great stuff so a couple of weeks before gamora and nebula came out you know people are getting their their pre-copies then there's like pre-pub stuff coming out and so i was getting a lot of like i was getting tagged in a lot of stuff and uh, especially on instagram it gets, kicked, it gets kicked into your like you're not following this person they're not following you maybe spam messages and i don't always look at those uh but i looked at one one day but and i didn't even look who it was from and it was just like somebody had posted and they were like oh my gosh i'm so excited about this book i can't wait to read it congrats Mackenzie! i was like zoe saldana <laughs> is this a like fan oh my account? Gosh. And I Looked at it and it's like seven and i like th- threw up uh not really but felt like I was going
0: through.
1: Oh my gosh! it and then like DM'd with Zoe Saldana for a little bit and was like, "How do you even find out about this?" Because the other thing too is they keep all they keep all the sides of Marvel really really separate. So like the press side doesn't like I said doesn't interact with the movie side doesn't interact with and they they want to kind of keep you apart and there's some like weird I think internal politics there. Um, but so I had like I had asked at one point like, "Can I could we see if like." Karen or Zoe would be interested in doing the audiobook for Nebula and Gamora especially because we're in a pandemic and like nobody's working and Marvel was very like nope not even going to ask them they don't need to know this exists um and Zoe found it because her mom saw it on like Gizmodo or something and said oh that's awesome this is so precious um so yeah that was like my most the most surreal moment of my life was like and I like sent her a copy and it was it was oh wild oh
0: my gosh that i'm wow. at the post
1: office, office mailing a book to zoe saldana and i just like i kept looking at the post the post office clerk who's like scanning it and i'm just like what i'm sending this to
0: yeah i'm really doing this man <laughs> 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 well so okay well i just wait, know
1: wait that was my first story i'm, oh, sorry I'm so sorry. sorry so sorry uh, Go ahead. No, no no you're totally fine uh this is just like my favorite story ever um so when you tell people you write for marvel they immediately think movies and so often people will just like bypass all the the leading questions and just be like, so, you know, Chris Evans, you know, Scarlett Johansson, like insert person here. And I'm like, no, I don't. Um, and so I, with, when I tell people I write Loki, I got a lot of, oh, so, you know, Tom Hiddleston. I'm like, I don't. Um, like your no. best friend. <laughs> oh <No>,
2: yeah.
1: <laughs> and she's like, Oh yeah, Tommy. Um, but so I, my friend and I were right after I got the job, my friend and I were down in Costa Rica on a vacation and we, she's an English teacher. I'm a writer. We ended up doing like a, a stand-up paddleboard trip and with this guy who bless his heart, he was so sweet, but he was like the opposite side of the spectrum that we are in terms of personalities. Like he's like this surfer bro from like California who like took his trust fund to open a surf shop in Costa Rica and like never wears shoes. And, and he was very okay. sweet, like a different kind of person than we are. Um, And so we had this long ride to the beach where we were gonna paddleboard. And we're like, my friend Hannah, bless her heart is like making conversation with him and trying to find common ground and it's just not happening. Um, And then she had this moment where she kind of goes, oh, Mackenzie. And I think in her brain, she was like, he's like a 20 something man. He probably loves Marvel. Um, She's like, Mackenzie, tell tell him what you do. Tell him what you write. And I was like, oh, I write for Marvel. And he sort of was like, oh, what do you write for Marvel? And I was like, I'm writing about Loki right now. And his whole face lights up and he's like, that's Loki, that's Tom Hiddleston in the movies, right? And I was like, yeah, oh my gosh, like we found something, we're at a bond. And he goes, I've never seen him, but we just had him here. I just had him on one of our tours. Can you tell him I said hi? And I was like, oh no, oh, no, 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 you totally misunderstood this. <laughs> How is your connection to this not Marvel? Your connection is Tom Hiddleston and you'd apparently just given Tom Hiddleston like a Costa Rica tour. It's like, oh no, 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 you probably have his number. I definitely
0: Yikes. don't. <laughs> Yikes. Oh my gosh
1: Like, oh, is... trying so hard it just went off the rails
0: <laughs> maybe someday maybe someday we'll see, we'll see. <laughs> so i i just wanted to i wanted to hit on two more things from the book and then talk maybe a little bit about gamora and nebula your book that just came out recently um thor thor is a what's so crazy about this is is Thor is a supporting character in this book.
1: <laughs> it's and never happened to him before. It never
0: happens. Um, so Thor and Loki's relationship, you're go- going into this and you're telling the the other side of the, the story. What, what did you envision for their relationship? As brothers, this sibling rivalry on steroids kind of thing?
1: Yeah, it's... I, I kind of leaned into the the Thor as like, I'm so sorry, I know it's your favorite, but like Thor as dumb meathead jock and Loki as like greasy misunderstood emo kid. Um, And that was kind of what I, and I I think especially because the dog's walking by again, small bear wandering through my my, uh, office.
0: Small bear, yes.
1: (laughs) I think especially because they're teenagers, it was easier to lean into those sort of like, almost the like high school tropes for them or the high school stereotypes. Um, and they're I mean, they're still again, they're early in their relationship. So they're they're sibling rivals, but not the rivalry is still forming, I guess, in a lot of ways. And so Loki still feels like maybe there's a shot that I might someday be king and like no shade to Thor, but I I wouldn't mind being king. And then he's sort of slowly starting to realize, like, no, 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 I was totally I this game is rigged. I'm totally set up to fail. And then that resentment towards Odin kind of ends up transferring over to to Thor and this resentment over yeah you you've rigged this game for me there's no you're you're making me jump through all these hoops and I'm I'm never going to get anything out of it like you know again you know how this ends which is with Thor being king of asgard so why are you making me do all of this humiliating crap that I'm not good at um and that resentment transfers over a little bit to Thor and so we see that kind of starting to happen in the book but they're also still brothers they're still they've Grown up together, they know each other, they've been mean to each other, they've helped each other. Like, um, I think there's, oh gosh, now see, I'm like, I can't remember if this is in the book or not. If it ended up in the final draft, there's like a part where Loki tells Thor to like pick up his clothes off the floor, like pick up his towel off the floor, or else it's gonna like mold or something like that. And for me, that was like they're they're siblings. And for me, that was a really important part too, is that they've grown up together and they know each other not just as warriors and not just as as rivals and not just as as um, contenders for a throne, but they, they know each other as people and as brothers and and as as humans, as as guardians.
0: <laughs> yeah, as, as whatever they are. Yeah. <laughs> well, and like what I thought was so cool was before they were fighting these cosmic battles over the nine realms, they were just, they were just kids. Like, yeah. and I think, I think like, especially in the first few chapters in their little like side adventure in Alfheim is kind of fun because Loki follows all the etiquette Thor follows none of it and he gets a he gets away on charm alone. And he yeah. is just like, I put in work here. Like at least pretend to do the work.
1: Yeah. And, I know. Thor's got a little bit of like in 30 Rock where they talk about like the handsome guy bubble. Like Thor lives in that like handsome, charming, and also like the the he is he is what people think of when they think of Prince of Asgard or son of son of Odin. And Loki is so not. And so he's sort of working. Against he walks, you know, he walks into a room and people already have their 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 hackles immediately go out because they're like, oh, you were not, you were not, you're not the 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 greasy beanpole that I expected to be coming on behalf of Odin. Um,
0: Yeah, (laughs) so you spoke of Odin, and I'm gonna get to him in a second one thing i just like these since it's a ya novel and you were you were writing essentially like older high school kind of aged characters yeah. is what i interpreted as yeah. i saw breakfast club unfolding in asgard like i saw like amora and loki as more of the judd nelson ali sheedy kind of side of it and then you know uh thor and sif are like you know oh. neely west of Ez and molly ringwald exactly.
1: but that's just like
0: my little like Visualization of that.
1: Now I can tell people if you like Double Wars Prada and if you like The Breakfast Club, you'll love
0: Loki. <laughs> you'll love this book. Uh, so Odin. As far as relationships in the book, I know that you know so many relationships were you know manifested onto the pages. I really gravitated to Loki's scenes with Odin um because they they seemed so formative for who Loki ends up as, and in, in, you know, I'm calling up chapters now because I actually wrote these ones down, but in chapters 10 and 35, the, you know, there's the the conversation right before he goes to Midgard and there's 35. Yeah, there we go. But <laughs> those of you that the, uh, she she's got the, the books displayed in the background. So uh, chapter 10, before he gets sent off to Midgard, they have this like, great like you know you give Thor endless chances to win something that you know I I feel like I'm I'm, I'm already you know in last place for and then 35 is the culmination of the book and um it, it, it ends and in, in, it ends in a kind of an Odin speech that Loki responds to I, I just their relationship fascinates me so I was wanting to know if you just like maybe like that father-son dynamic how did you how did you want that to be represented in the book.
1: I'm not a big fan of Odin as a dad.
0: He's uh, an asshole.
1: Yeah. Not a, not a great father figure. Um,
0: He's not Anthony Hopkins from the movies.
1: Though <laughs> 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 um, so my my sister who's also a big Marvel fan, um, when pretty early on in this project, she sent me like a Tumblr post that was, it was like Odin Odin saying, like, I love all my children equally. Thor and looks at smudged writing on hands lolly Lolly. and that's very much what it feels like or or someone else was there was one that was like that from ragnarok when in the movie when odin dies and he's like i love you my sons and he's like thor and larry like it's like thor and larry
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome
1: it's such a weird thing with loki too because it's like you saved this kid like and then you and then you just torture him like and and at this point in his timeline in the book Loki doesn't know he's adopted he doesn't know he's not Odin's son and so it's the the sort of the strangeness feels even more pronounced in the distance from between him and Odin and who he is and who Odin is and who Odin holds up as sort of an idealized uh, son and an idealized warrior of Asgard um, and yeah he's he's not a great but but also I think I think throughout the book. He, Loki not knowing whether Odin actually has any faith in him as a as a hero as a good guy as like that's sort of the pervading question of the book is we start with this big prophecy about Loki doing something bad um and then Loki's always wondering like not only is this an inevitable thing that I'm going to end up doing no matter what I, I choose does also it says a lot about the people around me whether or not they believe this too and so he's not only sort of weighed down by this prophecy but he's weighed down by the fact that People hear that he's gonna be the fall of Asgard and he's like, then they're all like, Yeah, checks out. Um it sounds right. So yeah, that becomes kind of a defining feature of his relationship with Odin in this book is he's like the thing that's not it's not important that you you just had a prophecy of me destroying Asgard. The thing that's important is you believe that that could happen and that you're like, Yeah, we gotta we gotta take care of this, we gotta make sure this doesn't happen like you're you're fortifying against it. Um yeah, I'm 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 not a big, I'm not a big Odin fan, uh, but I do think his 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 terrible parenting is is very formative to Loki. Again, it goes back into that thing of like in trying to in trying to uh, change what you think is an inevitable future, you end up playing into it. In his sort of like bad parenting and trying to make Loki into this version of a son that he isn't, he ends up making him into he ends up pushing him sort of in the opposite direction.
0: Yeah, I mean a lot of a lot of what Loki becomes, I think you can pin on Odin oh yeah um and and i i just i i had this this feeling throughout the entire book like okay what is it that odin doesn't trust about loki and it all every single thing i kept coming up with was like oh the thing he doesn't like about loki is that he's not thor
1: yeah
0: yeah that's all it comes back to
1: yeah he's odin has an idea of what his heir his son his his kids in general who that who that person is there's an idealized and odin sort of is this idealized asgardian warrior and he is the when you yeah the default asgardian warrior pinnacle whatever um and so he wants his sons to be that too and loki's loki's not like he's he's not a he's not a tough guy he can't take a punch he fights from a different place of strength he he's kind of wily and cunning and leans into leans into his his meanness a little bit more, and then manipulates people. And rather than accepting these things about his kid and and learning to to love them and helping him embrace them, like not that you ever want to embrace your sliminess, but still, Odin's like, we just got to get rid of this. And so yeah. you're he, in that he's immediately telling Loki in the way we talked about earlier, like you're too weird, you're too strange. I don't know what to do with you. Nobody's like you. You don't fit in. Um, so Loki spends all this time trying to cram himself into this impossible mold and then meets Amora and is like, oh, no, I'm not totally strange. Here's this other person who's like me and she's amazing. So I can also be amazing. So, yeah, it, it's all Odin's fault. That's
0: it's essentially what we've been getting at for the longest time. Yeah. <laughs> it's all Odin's fault. Um, I just it wanted to... I
1: said that it was Odin all along. I like,
0: there so i i i want to wrap up here but like my gosh it would be a travesty if i had had a someone who's written loki and i didn't ask her about the loki tv show like
1: it's on on everybody's minds right now i dream of alligator loki
0: who doesn't like so uh and i love that like uh i even saw like you know in, in your amora character i was like oh I like that's a sylvie thing or or like vice versa and like their chemistry is so great um i just but thought that fact, was kind of cool point, i'm
1: like i'm like Loki is doing a heist on a train with a beautiful blonde woman who's kind of another version of himself like some sort of mind-melding synthesis went on here
0: <laughs> so uh, mackenzie uh, we're we're gonna we're gonna let you go but i, I just wanted to maybe uh if you want to uh type the current book that you have out, the Sisters in Arms Gamora Nebula book, or tell people where to find your books. Kind of the the rest of our time is yours, just hype it up. Yeah, Uh,
1: so yeah, Loki Where Mischief Lies is available from fine booksellers everywhere, wherever books are sold. Um, uh, The second book in the series, they're not, it's a series only in that they're all about Marvel anti-heroes as teenagers they're not actually related to each other. So the second book is, is called Gamora and Nebula, Sisters in Arms. Uh, it is about Gamora and Nebula as implied by the title. Uh, and it's about them as, again, sort of younger, younger versions than we've seen them in the, in the movies, which is the incarnation that the comics are now drafting off of and that most people are familiar with. Um, I've been saying as I've been talking about this book, it just came out, so I've been doing a lot of promo for it. Um, in the movies, we, when we first meet Gamora and Nebula, we see them as having recognized abuse in their life and trauma that has sort of shaped their childhood, but they're still figuring out how to like deal with it. In this book, they are recognizing the fact that there was abuse and they're starting to see sort of abuse and trauma um, and starting to recognize uh, the lies that have formed their relationship and their rivalry that they took as fact. Um, so it is it is a space Western drafting on Ooh. my favorite things like Firefly and Dune and um, Mad Max. And, Star Wars. Um, Star Wars. Yeah, there's definitely some stars in there. Like, it's, it's all it's the the my influences are very apparent. Um, but yeah, it's a space Western set on this, like, uh, this d- desert planet that used to be lush and green and has now been strip mined into nothing um, because of a renewable resource that uh, is found in its crust. And so uh, it's set on this sort of desolate mining station. Uh, Gamora is sent to this planet to Uh, on a mission for an unknown benefactor, unknown employer uh, with the assignment to retrieve the heart of the planet. Uh, So she has to figure out how to do that. Uh, She ends up allying herself with a group of miners who are uh, trying to uh, save the planet before it is destroyed beyond, beyond the ability to do that. Um, and then, of course, Nebula is hot on her tail because everywhere Gamora is, Nebula is, and Nebula ends up aligning herself with uh, the aforementioned Universal Church of Truth. Oh um, and of course, they come together and start to recognize there are they are they are pawns in a larger cosmic game, as they so wow. often are. So, yeah, it, and it's,
0: scene. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it was, it was a, it's a different book from Loki in that it is pure sci-fi. There's no there's no Earth. Earth time, there's no Midgard scenes, Um, but it's very, very based in uh, the American West. I grew up in the West and so I, I feel like that like desert red rock is very much part of me. And also the deconstruction of the myth of the American West and and sort of starting to recognize as I have, as I've gotten older, how many people had to be exploited and killed and stepped on and stolen from in order for that myth of the American West to continue. So it's got the historical tie-in even if it's not actually on Earth.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh man, I'm I'm excited to read that book now. Uh, so, uh, Mackenzie, thank you so much for hanging out with us over the last no a little bit. Lovely.
1: You are um, you are my new favorite uh, book critic. I legitimately I'm like I'm gonna just start sending you chapters and be like, just tell me I'm beautiful. Tell me this is great. And tell me all wonderful things I'm and, doing without even doing realizing I'm doing it.
0: And I will gladly do it. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for uh, yeah, thank you for this time, and uh, we will hopefully see you down the road.
1: Yeah, see you when book three comes out.
0: Awesome. Okay, everybody, before we get out of here on this episode, we have to, absolutely have to talk about the finale of Loki. And I brought on one of the biggest Marvel fans I know to talk about this monumental episode of Loki, Welcoming my friend Jed Shermer to the show again. He was on our All Father's Day special, so if you haven't heard him, go back and listen to that. But now we're talking about Loki. Let's get focused, Jed. What did you think of the finale of this awesome show?
2: Yeah i I was just blown away.
0: by No joke, many, right? Oh
2: yeah, like like just so many different things. And I think the the major aspect that just blew my mind is <laughs> um like. How many finales of a show are mainly exposition and are so amazing? Right, like there's so little action, but I didn't care at all.
0: No, I mean, like literally the, the whole the whole episode outside of like the the, the well the the fight scene between uh, Loki and Sylvie at the end was just a conversation.
2: Yes. Yep.
0: Like, that's insane to me. Like, we get beyond the void, and li- literally, we're just like, you know, what's going to happen? Uh, three characters are going to sit in a room and talk for a while.
2: Right. Yes.
0: So, I mean, okay. So, let, let's, let's, let's break this down. We get to see the one who exists beyond the veil. It's he who remains. But let's be honest. We got to see Kang the Conqueror in the Marvel Cinematic Universe for the first time ever in this episode, Jed, what were your initial thoughts of Kang in
2: the MCU? Like, well, and that's, it was just so crazy, you know, how quirky, like, Jonathan Majors did such a great job, like, if I lived for a million years, like, I can't imagine myself not being quirky at that point.
0: A little insane. You
2: know, <laughs> yes. You know, like, a little on edge, you know, a little different, Um and I think he just portrayed that so well. Um, and I think it just makes me excited because like, you know, the actual King, the conqueror character outside of he, who remains is likely going to be like so different. Oh yeah. Um, and so I'm so excited to see how he handles that, you know, playing so many different characters, essentially that are the same person.
0: Yeah. I think it will, I think it will definitely feel very tonally, it'll feel very different from like the Thanos saga that we've gotten. Yeah. Where like James or sorry, not James Brolin, Josh Brolin was very like very one note. Like we knew who Thanos was. Yeah. Every time we saw him, we all we knew what to expect. Right. King yep. is is at his core, is very different. Right. Like he will show up we hope so in so many iterations and different you know maybe yes. speech patterns or you know uh just all the character is literally a a myriad of different things right. so it'll really uh speak to jonathan Majors's quality as an actor let's we'll see how he brings this character to life in so many different ways yep let's talk about so with the climax of this episode yeah it's the finale and we're, we're led to this decision point where Loki and Sylvie are on the opposite sides of a decision to either kill he who remains or to take his, to take his spot. Right. So take me into your, you're watching this, uh, this conflict unfold between Loki and Sylvie. What were you thinking as that conflict is brewing and they fight and it leads up to that decision point. Take us inside, Jed, no. watching this episode.
2: Like it, it's just such a, you know, you try to understand it from the perspective of the characters. Uh, you know, we probably have a decent understanding of, yeah, he's, you know, it seems like he's telling the truth. Um, but this, I mean, this is, you know, they, they explained it so well that, you know, Sylvia as a character, her trust issues are a core of who she is um and so you know like sitting there thinking like what what if any of this is actually true you know like yeah what what can we actually take as like this is true and this is or is this all a ploy of his uh of some master manipulation um because we've never seen this character before um we know that he is a master manipulator already with the tva and the things he's done there um and so you know it's like you know, what is there to believe in this, um, versus, you know, what, what, what's going to happen, you know, like, and so it's just, um, I think that was my first thing to wrestle with is how, like, I was kept waiting for like, there to be a giant twist of, you know, like they call him out or something, or, you know, something is wrong, or, you know, they find a flaw in his story or, um, you know, but they, it's just the exposition was just so amazing. Um, to sit there and listen to his backstory backstory that hasn't happened yet technically in the place we're at in the MCU and, and stuff. But it's just when you deal with time, it just bends your mind. So, so, okay. Speaking of, of, of
0: how they've handled time in this show going into the show, I, I think we talked about this on my preview, but I don't, I don't remember exactly. Is it, time travel and, and different timelines and multiverses, it initially feels very daunting. Like, yes. like, oh my gosh, I'm just going to be confused the entire time. Right. And I don't really know how they're, how is Marvel going to make this accessible uh, to fans that don't care about the multiverses in comics. They don't care about the multiple timelines. How are they going to make this accessible? Mm-hmm. And I think Loki as a show, Take, take, take Loki, the character outside of, of this comment. Loki, the TV show did such a good job of laying out how time works in the Marvel universe. Right now, I feel like we have a foundation for all these other movies that are coming. Right. Like, I, I believe it was Kevin Feige said that Loki was going to change the Marvel cinematic universe. And now we know why. Yes. Now we know how that that com- that comes to fruition because the timelines right. are now in a state of, I'm just going to say, it, in a state of madness.
2: Right. Yes. Good choice of words. So where do we, where do we go from here? Well, I mean, and that's the thing is anything, literally anything is possible now, you know, prior to this, uh, he who remains had everything locked in this single narrative. Um, and so now, you know, this is what is opening up to the what if series, this is opening up to, you know, the rumors of, uh, uh no way home for Spider-Man and bringing in all these different characters. Um, you know, the, I mean, Dr. Strange is the guardian of guardian of our reality. You know, this is, greatly impacts him and you know all these different areas that this is going to impact i mean it literally impacts everything um, yeah. And, and opens the door for literally anything so so
0: okay let let's let's talk a little bit about let's talk a little bit about the next thing that we get on disney plus because initially when the what if series got announced right. i was like okay cool it'll be like some anthology stories Right, Like, they won't really have any bearing on the Marvel Cinematic Universe. They'll be just, like, fun things that happen, and they're bringing back some of the good actors. Like, it'll be Chadwick Boseman's last performances, to T'Challa. Like, I'm just thinking of, like, these very, like, you know, kind of uh, okay things about the show. Right. But now... But
2: they aren't... Yeah, because we didn't think they would be canon.
0: What If is totally changing in terms of importance for me. Because, like, these stories are going to be like other existences that have been created from these this warping of time that has just happened. Yeah. So like how do you think what if is going to play into maybe the 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 canon timeline that we have?
2: Yeah, I I'm not for sure exactly how it'll play out. You know, I saw some fun things where maybe at, like, the end of every episode, the TVA shows up to, like, try and prune it or something. Okay. Uh, yes. um, you know, just something funny like that. Um, but, you know, like, with some of the I, – I don't know. I don't know how that will play in the in the main story arc um, of the AMCU. Um, we might – it might be, you know, um, you know where they – if the storyline goes well, they might pull it out and, you know, add yeah. it, you know um add it to the main live action story which would be cool
0: i'm i'm telling you if we get a live action marvel zombies movie i would kevin feige take my wallet man like here's my here's my bank account number like just give me marvel zombies in a live action movie yeah um so some of the the next, like, properties that we have movie-wise, like, we have Multiverse of Madness, we have, uh, you know, or, well, let's say, properties that have been linked to Loki already. Because, like, Shang-Chi really hasn't been linked to anything yet. Eternals has kind of sort of been linked to stuff, but we know that there's going to be multiverse tie-ins with Doctor Strange and Spider-Man uh and and po- possibly love and thunder uh yep. coming out next year um, we know there's going to be alternates in those movies already so how do you yeah. see with the movies going forward how do you see the multiverse affecting those titles that have already been announced
2: um well i mean it, i think i think that's like the next that's like where it's going now is every movie um, you know, like those that you just listed will have to touch on it. They will be greatly impacted um, and will help further along um, that arc of dealing with this new multiverse that exists. Um, and so, you know, cause although, you know, Toby McGuire and Andrew Garfield haven't necessarily been confirmed yet, we do have confirmation of Alfred Molina Doc yes. Ock, um, oh. and Jamie Fox's Electro. I'm so uh,
0: excited for for Alfred Molina to come back and play Octavius.
2: Oh, he is so great in that um, role. Amazing. Um, yeah. um uh, and so you know, like those are going to have to directly, um, talk about the multiverse and how that's yeah. impacted. Um, and then you know, another one we haven't talked about yet. Um. Yeah, the new ant-man the ant-man and the wasp quantum i forgot quantum mania i'm so sorry yeah. <laughs> um and that's that that's the one where we thought jonathan majors was going to show up he's been confirmed in that as king the con for like the longest time yes um and so you know that's and that was the thing is no i don't think anybody was really expecting him to show up this early because quantum Manium's not till
0: 2023 yeah it time to wait for that movie
2: and so yeah so i think you know everything will be impacted um you know that deal with more cosmic things you know i and that's what i love about the mcu i was thinking about this the other day um you know because we just had the black widow movie um come out and you know the the concept of it and the tone of it are completely different than loki yes um you know, like uh, Drakob, the bad guy in there, is nothing compared to He Who Remains or King the Conqueror. Yet in that movie, they does they do such a good job of giving getting you invested in the story that you know you're like, oh man, this this horrible person, you know, and you're like drawn into this, you yeah. know. And so it's just amazing that the MCU can have they can make a character like Black Widow, who's not as powerful, feel just as important. As someone like Thor or Dr. Strange who deal with quantum realities and cosmic, you know, wonders.
0: Yeah, no, that's that's a good point, because, um, I mean, after seeing Black Widow, I was like, you know, I was like, OK, it was like it was like Marvel does James Bond or James yeah. or Jason Bourne. Yeah, so I was like, OK, it's like a spy movie because like there's there's like there's almost no superpowers in that movie. Right, none. And so yeah. really, it's it's like it's Marvel does a spy movie, and I was like, okay, this is great. Like, but like, um, even in that movie, they talk about like, oh well, well, they in reference to Natasha, to, well, you're not like one of the big ones.
2: Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And they call that out, and they even like, there's even a great Thor reference in there where he's like, you know, I doubt, I doubt the the god of thunder has to take an aspirin after a fight. Yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. like. Yep. You know, she's just this normal hero, but bringing this back to the to the multiverse, so many of these characters are now going to be so relevant. Yeah, like I'll tell you what: um, as 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 long as we're going like into like deep cuts of heroes that should never, should never, maybe we assume they should never have gotten a movie. Though I'm glad they are. I'll bet you no one could tell me that a Shang Chi movie was coming. Oh, like no. 10 years ago. They're like, Oh, Hey, the, the master of Kung Fu. Yeah. He's going to, ha- he's going to have a movie. It'd be like the who, right. The, wait, oh, the, what? I remember we went to the comic book store a few months ago and um, we saw the Shang-Chi comics on the, on the, the racks and I was like, yeah, they weren't making this a few, if you even, you know, years ago, you know, right. maybe even decades ago, Like he didn't have his own single title. So the multiverse is expanding and it's also expanding the offerings that we get from Marvel. We're getting so many different uh, heroes are being spotlighted and, you know, we're kind of shifting up the roster of the MCU. I mean, we've got, Mm -hmm. we haven't even talked about the, uh, the Disney plus shows that are coming, you know, we've got Miss Marvel coming. We've got, you know, obviously what if is coming, we've got Hawkeye coming. Like, so the, the world of Marvel is expanding which even sounds insane because it was already big right um, but bringing it back to loki yep loki season two yeah the first time we get a follow-up to a disney plus season right just what do you expect out of season two of loki
2: yeah i there's so many unanswered questions at the end of the episode you know so they have to figure out you know, what's Sylvie going to do? Um, she's got uh, He Who Remains temp pad. So she can, she probably has more power than most people with the TVA and stuff at this point. You know, I, I imagine that Tempad pad can do more. Um, and then you got, you know, Loki who's in some, he's got to be in a, a different timeline of sorts. Um, you know, because we had the, the King the Conqueror statue. Um, in the TVA and Mobius and uh, Hunter um, B fifteen didn't recognize him, um, which was so jarring,
0: by the way. Yeah, like just like uh, wait, hold on.
2: Yeah, uh, and, no, and, no, you thank you. They, um, and so I do, I do think you know Loki is going to play a huge role uh, in preventing this next multiversal war. Um, you know, I think, I think they're going to change. I think that's. It's been leading to, you know, what King did was he kept people in the same narrative. You know, Loki was always yeah. destined to lose. Um, and they kind of addressed that at the beginning of the show. That is his fate. He's always destined to be the loser. Yeah, um, yeah. And I think that in season two, they'll change that. Um, okay. That, we, that Loki will have a, a major role Um and preventing the multiversal war between the Kangs um, and, and however his story ends, it, it will not be him as a loser. Okay. Yeah, I know. I, I agree. There's just some,
0: there's some other things that I was thinking about with, with uh, how season two is going to unfold. I am of the belief and, and I, maybe we've talked about this off, off of the show, but I, I, I think that the TVA exists in the quantum realm.
2: I'm I'm of that.
0: I'm of that thought. And I think Quantumania, like, just as Loki season one was essential to understanding where the MCU is going next, I think Quantumania is gonna be that movie where, like, oh my gosh, we're gonna understand so much more even than we do right now. And and um I believe that Kang is. He's too big of a villain to not handle in an Avengers movie. Like, sure. I do not think he will be defeated in, like, Multiverse of Madness or even Loki Season 2 or or Quantumania. I, he's, to me, he's too big for that. Yeah, agreed. I would love if all of this ended, if Kang's, you know, conquest ended in an Avengers Forever movie based on the storyline from comics. Like, Avengers Forever would be an awesome way to cap off his story and the Avengers come together because because he's an Avengers level threat like right. oh, yeah. you know uh, just like Thanos and you know Ultron and, and and those those villains like I personally my theory is uh, it ends in an Avengers forever uh, kind of uh, based story yeah. uh, story in a movie but but here's how I'm gonna wrap this up because honestly I could talk about Loki for hours and i just i want to know one
2: last thing
0: yeah does mobius get his jet ski eventually
2: i was gonna bring that up i i was so disappointed that there was nothing at the end of this and so i yes i i think they have to pay that off yes it's
0: it's it's a it's the what is it the chekhov's gun or something like that like where if you see it in the first act it has to go off in the third Yeah. Owen Wilson needs to ride off into the sunset on a jet ski. And that needs to be how Mobius ends.
2: Yes. Yep.
0: Like, no, there, there's no other way that that character gets sent off. Also, the fact that they didn't let Owen Wilson say, wow, the entire season. Right. Ridiculous. Yep. Uh, but, Jed, any other parting shots? I mean, we've gone, we've gone 20 plus, And this is the longest review we've done yet. So, yeah. I don't want to cut you off though. Like, is there any other thoughts about Loki this season? Yikes. Wow. All of it. Like any other thoughts you have before we wrap this up and we move on to, uh, to our, our outro and then the round table discussion next week, which I hope you're able to come and be a part of like anything else that you want to say to listeners today.
2: Yeah. Um, no, I think what I, I think what it was amazing about this show in general is just some of the inspirations that you can see play out in it. You know, um, the wizard of Oz with the man behind the curtain. Um, you know, the Willy Wonka with kind of the trial between Loki and Sylvie to see if they would be the ones to take over. Um, you know, there's just some amazing inspirations that led into this. Um, and I also just one other random thought today. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen the adjustment bureau, Matt. I I,
0: I saw it a long time ago. Yeah.
2: Um, if you think back to the plot of that movie, it's actually eerily similar to the plot of Loki. Okay. Yeah. 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 Uh I see it. Um, and so I just, I was thinking about that today when I was getting ready to, you know, be on the show with you or whatever. And, um, I was like, Oh wow, that's kind of funny. Um, and so, which is also ironic because it s- stars Anthony Mackey as well. Um, <laughs> right. Um, but no, I, I thought this was an amazing season. Um, I would, I would put so far out of the three um, MCU shows what we've gotten. I think I would put Loki at the top of them. Uh, okay. So far. So,
0: yeah. I mean, I, I will say this. They are all significant and distinct in their own ways.
2: Oh yeah. Yes.
0: And, and like, like WandaVision is totally different. And, you know, yes. Falcon and Winter Soldier is totally different. And Loki is definitely different. Um, like, you know, uh, but yeah, Loki is, j- it hit, they hit a home run. They yes. hit an absolute freaking home run with this show. Can't wait to see what comes next. Jed, man, I, I always like just friend to friend. I always love talking Marvel movies with you. Um, this truly uh joy of our friendship and it's been this way for like what seven years now yeah, uh so uh i mean and i'll always remember us you know picking apart iron man three till like what 3 a.m in the oh. morning or something like that yeah uh, but hey man thanks for being on the show we'll talk to you soon
2: yep sounds good man
0: That does it for the show today, everybody. I hope you enjoyed part two of our conversation with Mackenzie Lee. She was so much fun to chat with. She told some great stories. So I want you to go support her by buying one of her books, whether it's Low Key, Where Mischief Lies, or her new book, Sisters in Arms, the book about Gamora and Nebula. Go buy one of those books. Support her. and She's doing great work. So really uh, follow her on Instagram, at Mackenzie Lee. She's a great follow. She puts up a lot of stuff with her books and her just her life. It, seriously, just a great, great person, a great, great conversation. And thanks to my buddy Jed coming on and talking the finale of Loki. That was so much fun. We love talking Marvel together. So that was was super uh, enjoyable. And I hope you enjoyed our conversation as well. Some great ways you can support the show. Again, go to iTunes, subscribe, rate and review the podcast. We would appreciate anything you have to say about the show, whether it's a compliment or whether it's a criticism. We always want to make the show better. So be sure to go do that. Follow us on Spotify, and then go over to social media and follow us on Instagram at Across the Bifrost. Again, a reminder: we have a great, big, massive show next Monday that you want to be a part of. So, if you want your voice heard about Loki and our roundtable discussion that me and the reviewers are going to come back and do, go to the link in this episode's description and leave us a voice message. We will put it on the show, and your voice will be heard next week, next Monday, on our roundtable discussion. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Always enjoy when you come aboard the Rainbow Bridge with us and spend some time with us. Can't wait for the next time that you're going to jump on the Rainbow Bridge and learn something new about Thor's world with us. Until then, have a great day and stay worthy.